Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. Is your student interested in the ROTC? If so, listen in on the second segment when I speak with Lisa Albro, College Coach Veteran, on how to apply. And if you're a junior getting ready to apply for college, you probably need to learn about recommendations. So I'll be chatting with Abigail Anderson, Veteran of College Coach, formerly of Reed College, about everything you need to know about counselor, teacher, and additional or non-academic recommendations. And for the first segment, if you're watching this uh, on video, you will see Chrissy Foran here with me, and she and I will be chatting about reducing college costs with tuition reciprocity programs. So welcome, Chrissy. Good morning, Sally. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for joining us. This is uh this is honestly the kind of thing that I get questions about a lot. And I'm like, I have no clue. You will have to schedule an appointment with someone in the finance team. So, yeah, we talk about it a lot with our um, with our parents and, and students. And most people don't know that they exist. So it's, it's nice that we can enlighten the world today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some places, yeah, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, it's I know we're going to get into this more later, but I was really yeah. surprised at like how easy it is in some places, although not so much in others, like right. California, my home state. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's dig into this a little bit more. Like what are tuition reciprocity programs? Like let's, let's have a kind of broader explanation. Yeah. So tuition reciprocity programs, they're basically programs that, um, either a certain region of the U S can have states can certainly do it. Um, and then schools can participate um, in these programs. And what they do is they allow out-of-state students to attend in-state institutions, um, typically at a discounted rate. Um, some schools may even offer in-state rates, um, tuition rates. So the programs, um, the programs make out of the state schools make out-of-state schools more affordable for non-residents. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually they're reserved for students who live in the same region, but not the same state. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in connecting states next to each other in those regions. Um, and so typically you can often attend a public university. Um, sometimes private colleges will participate and they may give, you know, 15, 10% off of tuition, that kind of thing. Um, but typically with like the, the public universities, um, usually the participating school would give you or not charge you any more than 150% of the in-state tuition cost. So for example, if in-state tuition is $10,000 at the school you're interested in, you would end up paying no more than about $15,000. Instead of a typical out-of-state student would probably pay 20 to 25,000 for tuition if you're just Mm -hmm. an out-of-state. And so it's basically, it's a discount on tuition. Um, there's no discounts on room and board costs typically or any other fees that are included. It's just a tuition discount. Mm-hmm. But tuition, room and board, or, or sorry, room and board as opposed to tuition is usually the same in-state versus out-of-state, right? So Yeah, for the most part, yep. Um, yeah. And like private schools, typically there isn't usually any in-state or out-of-state tuition charges that are different, mm-hmm. but there there can be. And so there are some private schools that might participate that might give a tuition reduction as well. Mm-hmm. See, so that's fascinating because I did not even know that. So mm-hmm. we'll dig mm-hmm. into some more of that now. Like, yeah. So let's talk, are there different types of programs? Like what are some of the programs that are out there? Yeah. So there's, there are different types actually. So they have regional programs, which I'll um, give you a few of those here in just a minute. Um, there are state programs where maybe one state has a relationship with another, just one other state. Um, and then there's county programs where, you know, certain counties might actually have um, agreements with each other or various schools might have an agreement with certain counties. Um, so some of the larger regional programs, those are things like the New England Regional Student Program. Those are states like Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Vermont. Those, all, those states all participate together in a program to offer discounts to students in those neighboring states. Um, there's the Academic Common Market is another one, and that's actually a southern regional program. So that has states like Alabama, Arkansas, 
uh, Delaware, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky. So Texas, Tennessee, there's a, a bunch of states that participate in that, um, the academic common market. Um, there's the Midwest Student Exchange that has um, Illinois, uh, Indiana, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, uh, Nebraska, Wisconsin, and North Dakota. And then there's the Western Undergraduate Exchange, and that's more of the Western half of the United mm -hmm. States. So those are states like California, Colorado, Hawaii, Montana, uh, Washington, Utah, um, New Mexico, Arizona. Um, so there's agreements between those states and those regions. But then there's also agreements between individual states, like you were mentioning earlier, mm -hmm. um, like between Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, if you're in one of those states and you go to the other state for school, you can attend the universities, the colleges, and some technical colleges um, in the other state at this, that state's resident tuition rate. So um, you're not even paying the 150% of tuition, you're getting the actual tuition rate. So, mm -hmm. um, And then there are institutions that do have agreements with um, different out-of-state counties to pay in-state in tuition. So like the University of Chicago, or, um, sorry, University of Cincinnati, offers in-state tuition to certain students from counties in Indiana and Kentucky who are enrolled mm -hmm. in specific programs. Um, so it can be very, it just really depends on, on where you're living and what schools that you're looking at as to what your options are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but not every state has one, I think. Right, right. Um, unfortunately, not all of the states participate. So like New York, um, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Jersey, Iowa, North Carolina, those states don't participate in any of the programs from, mm -hmm. from what I know. Um, but otherwise, most states do have some type of either regional or state-based program. Mm -hmm. um, not sure about the county one, but, but most states will have something other than mm -hmm. the one I mentioned. Right. It's interesting that Iowa doesn't. I mean, I think, like, I understand why some places are more restrictive than others, but you'd yeah. think Iowa would jump right on the Midwest. <laughs> I mean, I think University of Iowa is a great school, but it's not a huge state with a ton of options. Right. You know? right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's some states I'm like, really? Why? You know, that would that you'd think that would help and open things up. But mm -hmm. some states just don't. I don't know why they don't want to participate in what, they're, what, what it is about that. But Man, they're afraid more people will leave, probably. And I right. say this is someone who loves Iowa, has been there multiple times. But yeah, yeah. Um, does every college have to participate if they are in a state that has this? No. So that's kind of the big kicker, too, with, with some of these programs is that not every school within that state has to participate in the program. Mm -hmm. um, usually the most popular, like the flagship state schools, a lot of times they do not participate. So mm -hmm. um, if a state participates in the program, it's up to each school within that state to make their own decision if they're going to participate or not. So like you had said with California, most of the UCs, you know, UCLA, UC Berkeley, um, UC Davis, none of those participate in this um, California in the Western Undergraduate Exchange. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of CSUs that do, the California State Universities. Um, so it's really important, you know, to review schools that participate in your region because, again, a lot of the flagships, you know, University of Oregon, they don't participate. University of Washington doesn't participate. So you really want to double check the schools that you're interested in. Mm hmm yeah, I mean, don't get your hopes up with these highly selective schools, I would think, right. in particular. Because everybody wants to go there, so they don't really need to offer discounts, you know. Right, they're, no, they're... they're kind of pick and yeah. choose who they want, and, and, you know, everybody's willing to pay, so... Yeah, yeah, and if you're coming from out of state, your purpose is to pay more, exactly. <laughs> as far as I remember. Yeah, exactly. Most families think that they do have to pay more to go out of state, so they a lot of them don't realize that this this can be an option if, if they choose the, the right schools that do participate. Right. So kind of speaking of that, though, does that require an extra application? Like, as you said, most families don't realize, I'll bet some families miss out on it because they don't know how to go about it. Yeah, and again, yeah exactly. And again, it really depends on the school. So it, there, there is not one, you know, it's not like the state of California has one rule for any school that participates. Mm -hmm. um, some schools, you may be automatically considered for the program when you're submitting your admissions application. So you really don't have to submit one. Um, but some colleges might require a separate application just to make sure they know that that's what you're interested in. Um, so it just depends, you know, 
it's really important, again, that you do research your schools in particular to see what the requirements are for eligibility and mm-hmm. what the application process is. And all of those regional programs have their own websites. So, you know, the Western Undergraduate Exchange, the Academic Common Market, you can find those out there on the internet and they'll give you information about the different schools. And then hopefully, you know, when you click on those schools, it'll tell you, or you can go to the school's own website and, mm-hmm. and just search for that reciprocity program and they'll tell you what what's necessary to qualify. What are kind of the words that you might search for? Just sort of like um, Cal State Los Angeles tuition reciprocity, that kind of thing to see yeah, if they have so it? If you know the name of the word, like you could go on to, um, yeah, like Cal State and, you know, maybe in that search bar typing in Western Undergraduate Exchange mm-hmm. um, or tuition reciprocity might be a good way to search. But if you know the name of the the region that you're, that you're in that, you know, that participates, mm-hmm. I would search by the name of the region. If you're not sure if they even participate in anything, like if it's a county to county or school, state to state, um, I would definitely search for, you know, tuition reductions or um, tuition reciprocity, that kind of thing on a school site. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. All or right. You and you can just call, you know, you can call financial aid or email the financial aid offices. Typically, they have an mm-hmm. idea of the different discounts that are offered through the, the schools. Mm-hmm. And so is that like how you find out if you qualify? Are there other steps that you need to take? Um, to find out if you need to qualify <laughs> yeah. or not. You're going to, I felt like a broken record. It depends on the school. Yeah. <laughs> um, so qualifications really are determined by the schools themselves. So, you know, some schools may require you to have a certain GPA. So you have to have above a 3.0 or a 3.2 to be eligible based on the state that you're in. Um, other schools might offer discounts for certain majors. Um, I know like, you know, Arizona State University participates in the Western Undergraduate Exchange, but you really have to be able to be in a certain major to qualify for that. So that really, that the major or the, the program that you're studying in can really be a big part of qualifying. So a lot of um, schools will say, hey, if, if you don't have this program and in your home state, you know, that you want to study, if we have it here, then we'll give you a discount since you can't find it in your home state. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it is important when you're researching schools that you're interested in, you know, check not only to see if they offer it, but check you know, what you need to do to apply and check what the qualifications are um, just to make sure that you're following all the processes and not missing out on some potentially great uh, money-saving uh, information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. At least check. There's no harm in checking. So. Absolutely. And like I said, you can always talk to the schools directly and and uh, hopefully they can give you some good information about it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chrissy. You are so welcome. Thanks for having me here and have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too. All right. So so now we're going to be taking a short break, but when we return, I'll be talking with Lisa Albro about ROTC. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Lisa. Lisa Albro, college coach veteran, is here to talk to me about the ROTC. So pretty excited about that. How are you doing, Lisa? Doing great, Sally. How are you? I'm doing really well. So I was so clueless about ROTC for most of my career, and I was so grateful when we hired you because you actually knew like a good amount about it. Like, <laughs> I think I, I think you presented to us and it was like a revelation. I took down every word you said. So really glad you're here today because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about it. And actually, let's go ahead and start with what is ROTC? Like what, like what is it? Sure. Reserve Officers Training Corps. Uh, it's if for students who want to have a college education, four-year college education, but also give service to the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very often there's a scholarship attached. I can't say that every student gets one. There are students who do ROTC mm-hmm. without scholarship as well. But in general, many are, are scholarship students. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's a way to fund college too, but it also has at the tail end of it, when you graduate from college, you have your degree, but then you're also committed to service in the military. Mm-hmm. And how long is that service typically? It will vary depending on the specialty, depending on the branch. If you talk to Army, for example, they'll say they want eight years from you, four active and four reserve. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're going for Air Force and you want to be a pilot, pilots need to give 10 years. And those are just a couple of examples, but there's so many variations. Nursing, for example, will carry with it a certain commitment of service in different branches. So students who are interested in various branches and various functions in, in the military really need to study the websites and see what is the, you know, what is the service commitment for each mm-hmm. area they want to go into. Yeah. Cause it is a serious commitment. I mean, I've, I've talked, I've talked to families. Well, there was this one family in particular where this one student said, well, I, I want to go to an expensive private school and my parents won't pay for it. So I'll just join the ROTC. And I was like, have you, do you have any interest in the military? Like uh, setting aside the money, how are you going to feel about that kind of structure and giving your life over to that? Because this is a very big commitment. This isn't just like a couple hours a day, even this is 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was like, well, (laughs) I can do it. I'm like, no, I'm not saying you can't, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but think about it very carefully. I mean, I think it's a wonderful scholarship and I'm so glad that our service people have it. But like, don't do it just for that is what I would say. Exactly. That's what I say. I think your your commitment to service should come first. Mm-hmm. That should be the thing that drives you to go into an ROTC program, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, because because you are committing to it now, granted, granted, you can start in an ROTC program and you have a grace period after which, you know, you're not automatically committed to it. There's a time frame where you can decide to opt out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after that passes, okay, if you haven't opted out, well, you're, you're, you're kind of in it, <laughs> you're committing. Right. Um, and and it, get, it amps up, it gets more intense. There are summer programs that they have to do. There, there might be some, like Air Force, for example, requires a test. There's an actual standardized test they need to take at some point uh, to, to stay in. And, you know, it involves an awful lot. But let me be clear, you still have a traditional four-year college experience too. It's just that mm-hmm. you're doing your ROTC on top of it. There might be, you know, a certain number of hours per week of class meetings and and drill instruction and things like that. But by and large, you're still a, a traditional four-year college student. It's just that sometimes you have your uniform on and, mm-hmm. and you're going to drill or you're going to ROTC functions or, or uh, mm-hmm. classes. We, uh, as you can probably imagine, um, well, when I, I was a student at Reed College, we did have one ROTC student, only one. Re- Reed, for those of you who don't know, is a small college in Portland, Oregon. And knowing its location in Portland should tell you a lot about what Reed is like. It's very, very liberal. So, so people being in the military was very unusual. So, so uh, um, you know, a, a, a student walking around in, in his military gear was, you know, we all went, oh, there's Ben, you know. <laughs> So, um, but I thought it was great. I mean, he, like, I got to know him and become friends with him later. And he talked about how, like, just the sheer diversity of his experience, you know, being in the military, getting to know people there, and then also being out of college, like Reed, how valuable it was. So even if you're not someone who thinks, 
where everybody in your your school is going to ROTC, it can be a really positive experience. Certainly. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to make sure that, like, people think about it. But, again, the service comes first. Right. Service, service comes 100%, first. 100% comes yeah. first. Absolutely. And I know I've talked about this before when I've been on the show to talk about military academies. If mm-hmm. a student is interested in a military academy, it's really smart to also look for colleges to apply to alongside application to military mm-hmm. academies that have ROTC programs mm-hmm. and to apply to those because there's no guarantee they're getting into those service academies. They're highly selective. It's, it, mm-hmm. you know, they, they may not get in. They can't bank on getting admitted to a service academy. Mm-hmm. So if military service is what their goal is, they ought to also look at the ROTC programs for those branches that they're interested in. Yeah. I mean, getting into West Point and the Naval Academy is like getting into an Ivy, basically. Yeah. Yes. So, um, all right. So when and how do students apply? How does the application process work? Because like, hopefully everybody knows that it is more complicated than just saying, oh yeah, I'm going to check a box for ROTC. There's more right. stuff to it than that. Absolutely. So they, they have a separate ROTC application and, and each branch has its own. So if let's say there's a student who wants both Army and Navy or can't decide or would be happy with either, let's just say occasionally that mm-hmm. happens, they need to look at, okay, which colleges, first of all, have the ROTC programs and the branches they're interested in, but then also, you know, they have to fill out the ROTC application for those branches. So each one has its own website. Um, you could, I mean, you could simply do a web search and say Army ROTC or Navy ROTC, but I, I actually have the websites and they're a little bit involved, but I can give them to you now or later if you'd like. Um, mm-hmm. The you know www.goarmy.com/rotc is mm-hmm. for the Army. Uh, there's the Navy is www.navy.com/joining/college-options/ N-R-O-T-C. Like I said, it's easier just to Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here's the easiest one. Air Force. Air Force is www.afrotc.com. Simple, right? <laughs> that's, that's a little bit more intuitive. Yeah. Um, so, so on each of those sites, they can read up on all the stipulations about applying. Now, the application process varies in time frame too. Usually it's at the end of the junior year, either the spring of the junior year or the summer after junior year going into senior year that they can actually access the applications. Uh, right now, the only one that's live is Navy. Navy's went live on August, or sorry, April 1st mm, okay. of this year. Armies won't go live until June 12th. And Navy's, or sorry, Air Force goes live on uh, July 1st. And okay. so they can actually access those applications as soon as that. So what I'd encourage students to do is find out which schools offer ROTC in the branches that they're interested in, and then also go to the ROTC application because there are a lot of steps to that. Just like when they apply to colleges, they have to submit their high school transcript and letters of recommendation and test scores and report on their extracurriculars. That all has to happen as part of the ROTC applications as well. So it's, mm-hmm. they should think, students should think of this as another college application, essentially, that they're filling out. Um, but in addition, beyond what they would do for a normal college application, there's a physical fitness test they'll have to take. There's a medical exam they'll have to do. And there's usually an interview as well. So there's some added components to this. So that's why starting early, as soon as the application opens up, is a really wise idea, even if they're not sure of all the schools they're applying to even mm-hmm. if it's a few that they, they know they're applying to, get that ROTC application in, in process because the process of applying takes time with all the things you have to schedule, the, the physical fitness tests and the exams and all of that mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if a student isn't an athlete, this might not be as easy for them. <laughs> That's <laughs> one basic thing. I don't know if it, this is that they have to be an athlete per se, okay. but they need to be physically fit. Right. They need to prove physical fitness. And I know, I think some people who aren't necessarily athletes, but they're fit. Maybe they, you know, they exercise frequently. They, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can run a mile. They can do the, the things that they have to do to pass the physical fitness test. So you want to make sure you'll, you know, you can read up on those websites too, on what the physical fitness test encompasses, the shuttle run and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the pull-ups and all the things they have to do. Uh, they can pr- start practicing for those things too, well in mm-hmm. advance of taking the test, just to ensure that they'll pass that physical fitness test. But also the medical exam, there are things that they can't control there, you know, they either pass it or they don't based on certain medical issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Okay. Good to know. All right. And so how can you be competitive? Like what, I mean, I think a lot of people sort of imagine, or I've heard people say actually, well, I got a nominee, I got, um, I guess this is more actually for the academies. They're like, I got a nomination for my congressperson, so I'm in, right? Like they kind of think like I have the GPA, so I'm in, right? So, but it's more complicated than that. It's more complicated than that. I mean, if you look at some of the GPA requirements, each branch has has a different one. If you read up, I think Army requires at least a 2.5 GPA, which, okay, I think a great many students have 2.5 or more, but that doesn't mean everyone with a 2.5 gets in, you know, Mm -hmm. you're still in competition with students who have Mm -hmm. 3.5s, 4.0s. And so it's, it's, you know, how competitive are you as an applicant in a pool of many applicants who are also competitive? Uh, Not to say that you have to have the highest level, you know, academic standing, you know, you might be in the middle of your class, but still have a strong GPA and have some Mm -hmm. tough courses and have some good test scores. And, And if you look at the test score requirements, you know, some of them aren't, ridiculously high. I think, and I think it's Army too that says, you know, a, a 920 or a 1000 on the SAT is really mm-hmm. their minimum, but mm-hmm. you want to be over the minimum. You want right. to be over the minimum. You want to know that you've got the, the good backup of recommendations from teachers, but also remember getting into the ROTC program or getting the ROTC scholarship, you have to get into the college too. So mm-hmm. you're also applying to those colleges and you need to, you can't just get one and not the other. You've got to have both the offer of admission and the scholarship mm-hmm. offer. If that's Have you ever want. heard about some colleges giving preference to people in ROTC? In, in terms of admitting them? Yeah, in terms of admitting them. I mean, it, it wasn't the case at any of the colleges that I worked for, although it was certainly a plus to have that as an interest, but it wasn't like a big boost. But I've heard people say that too. So I was wondering what you thought. You know, maybe rarely I've heard of it being an advantage, but I don't think it makes as much of a difference. They're still mm-hmm. looking for admissions is looking for it. It's what it's looking for. Right. And and if it's below what their standards are, then it's not necessarily going to mm-hmm. help them. Yeah. Now, some branches will want students to list also their top choices of colleges in, in order of preference. And so, you know, it, whether they get the scholarship or not at a college can d- be determined on that. They can say, okay, this is your first choice and this is the one we're going to look at you for, for scholarship, but maybe not for your third choice. Mm. And what if you don't get admitted to your first choice, but to your third choice? Do you still want to be in the ROTC if you're not getting the scholarship? Mm. So there's some strategy involved too. I mean, if you put as your first choice a college that you're unlikely to get into, mm-hmm. that might actually backfire on you. Right. So you want to be smart about what you list as your choices. Be be aware of where your chances are with the schools that you're considering as mm-hmm. well. Okay. All right. Very good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so are there elements of the application that surprise students that you might want to, you know, f- that you would sort of like warn people about um, if you were giving them advice? Like keep in mind, I know we've already gone over some things like mm-hmm. that, but is there anything else? I think the physical fitness exam or the, and, and the medical exam is, is what tends to surprise students the most. The fact that they, you know, there can be some little thing that throws them off, off kilter that they, they, they won't be. Now, sometimes they can get a waiver if there's, you know, something workable. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, they, they might have, they might check all the boxes. They might have all the things they need grade wise and, and, you know, even pass the physical fitness test, but something can disqualify them medically. Mm-hmm. I think that's always a surprise. Mm-hmm. And I actually had that happen to a student a few years ago who was gung-ho on ROTC. And she discovered in her medical exam that she had a, a heart issue that was not, you know, prevalent and, and wasn't something that she was aware of until the medical exam. Oh, how heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I feel so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, on the other hand, it's, you know, you can't someone send someone into these situations if they have... Um, you know, such a condition. So, right. right. Yeah. They need students in top physical condition because it's, it can be very grueling what, mm-hmm. what they will be doing as service men and women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so where, I mean, I guess we've talked about some of this. Are any other places um, where they can go to get information on all this? Like, is there anything that's sort of ROTC um, specific? You know, I've seen a couple of websites about military service. I, I don't know how, uh, how much I trust 
them. I would rather just go to the source. I would say the ROTC websites for each branch mm-hmm. tend to be very comprehensive. You can go down many, many rabbit holes when you are clicking around. I know I keep checking on them every so often to see what's new and what's changed. You know, for example, I was looking for information on testing requirements, given the fact that this past year has been very strange with testing optional high mm-hmm. school or colleges and, and or, or test-free test schools. Uh, and it's hard to find a lot of literature about that. In some cases, it, it's, it's calling around. I know military academies are having that issue too, where they're still hoping to see test scores and will be willing to take at least initially PSATs for some students to get their applications started. Uh, but it, it's hard to find a lot of that information even right now. And mm-hmm. some updates haven't been made. But there are phone calls, or phone numbers to call. There are contacts that students can also make and reach out to. There's you know, a little chat they can go into and ask the questions as mm-hmm. well. And so I would just rely on the main websites for the ROTC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make sure it's coming from the source. Because I can imagine that there might be some shady stuff out there. So, um All right. Well, Lisa, this has been so helpful and I learned some more stuff, which is always a nice thing too. (laughs) You can always learn something, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Any last words of like who should look at ROTC or, or do you kind of feel like it's the sort of thing where students know it? Like if they've always thought about service, then they should look at ROTC. Uh, Yes, yes. But I also tell students, you know, if service is important to you, service in general, service to other human beings, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you have a a, a deep commitment to leadership, if, if you've exhibited leadership, in your high school years, and it's something that you take to fairly naturally. You know, you've, you've met these students that mm-hmm. you just feel are natural leaders. They could be good for ROTC. Maybe they hadn't thought about it before. And, you know, students who are thinking, okay, I really want to go to college, but boy, is it going to be expensive? And, and you know, if service and commitment are, are part of what they're willing to consider and, and are serious about, then, then this could be a, a good way for them to go. Mm-hmm. Also, if they want to travel, I mean, they're going to see lots of places in the world when they're in the service and, mm-hmm. and even before when they're in ROTC programs, when they're doing their summer programs and things, they, they can go for, to some very interesting places. And one of the things I didn't realize in high school is what a broad variety of roles there are in the military. Like you yes. mentioned nursing. You know, I'm sure nurses, they have to go through the basic training. They need to be able to take care of themselves. But most of what they're doing, I imagine, is nursing people back to health, which is what they would be doing, you know, stateside, so to speak. So, um, so I I think that that was really fascinating to me and something that I like to kind of emphasize that if you, yeah, with that commitment to service, remember, there's a lot of different roles for you. Yes. Um, So, Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate that. Great to be here. All right. So we're going to take a short break and then Abigail Anderson and I will be discussing letters of recommendation. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome, Abigail. How are you? How are you doing today? 
Thank you, Sally, for having me. I'm doing well. It's a beautiful spring day here. <laughs> here and in, there in Rochester, New York, where it's not always such beautiful weather. <laughs> That's right. It's not snowing. So yeah, exactly. And summer weather being with us. I hope it's warm and sunny for you, too. It absolutely is. It's nice. Um, all right. So we are going to be talking about letters of recommendation today. And uh, I think there's a lot of confusion about it. I mean, I remember when I worked at the University of Chicago, students would sometimes send in like five letters of recommendation and things like that. And so, you know, I, there's this is and let me just say for anybody out there, five letters of recommendation is too many. Nobody wants to read that many letters of recommendation. So we're going to dive into what the colleges actually want out of the recommendations, the different kinds, you know, all that information. So, um, so let's talk more, like, what are they and why do the colleges need them? So your letters of recommendation are almost exactly what they sound like. It's a usually one page letter, maybe a little bit longer, that some of your academic teachers or a school counselor might write about the student's performance, their character, their contributions to the classroom, how they meet to challenge, really any way that this adult in a student's life might have interacted with them or um, learned from them or been in a classroom or school setting with the student. I found them super useful when I was reading applications. I don't know about you, Sally, but I always loved flipping to the letters of recommendation kind of section. We had them all grouped mm -hmm. together, so I would read them back to back. And I liked them because it was a more neutral party, you know, not mm -hmm. the applicant themselves, um, but but a, somebody outside of the applicant talking about who this person was. And I think I enjoyed it in part because I never knew what I was going to get when mm -hmm. I opened those letters of recommendation or I flipped to those letters of recommendation. Um, oftentimes, I found that what I read was so in line with the picture I was forming of the student or maybe it was amplifying, corroborating what I was thinking about this student, learning about this student. And then other times, on the far end of the spectrum, sometimes the letters of recommendation would just open a whole new world into who the applicant in front of me was, is in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There was a one teacher recommendation that I will say at Chicago really flipped the student into admit. And I, I want to be clear that in very few cases, like in most cases, it really does just amplify what you know already. It's one more piece of information that's sort of building this, this house, this sense of who the student is. This student, though, was, um, you know, she went to a really impoverished high school in um, close to Death Valley. This is not a wealthy part of California. And um, she had written an essay about, you know, going like a wonderful essay herself about going to a baby shower for a cousin who was, you know, 17 and just kind of how hard it was to be part of that family when her goals were so different. So that gave us a little sense. But then the teacher talked about how her family, uh, there were many drug dealers for the area in the family. I mean, it was crazy. She had moved out and was living with another student who was in a kind of similarly negative situation that they would take the bus to school from this trailer in like a phenomenal heat, like she, he and his wife would give them rides because otherwise, I mean, this is a place where buses come once every hour and a half, you know? So, um, I mean, it was just this kind of amazing essay and he, he wrote, he, you know, this is a small high school. So he wrote about like, you know, her, her growth as a student and beginning to take chemistry seriously and all those things. And, um, I almost feel bad about telling that story because that's just not what most students are going to have. But I also want to tell it because I think if you are in one of those extreme situations, the, a letter of recommendation can be so illuminating, you know? So, yeah. Well, I mean, think about how many applications did you read at the University of Chicago? And you're saying this is like probably the only one that totally 
you know, it doesn't sound like the student was a deny before, but really solidified the admit decision. So it's oh, yeah. that's a good illustration of how rarely one piece of the application ever changes mm-hmm. a reader's mind completely. But I think that the point about if you are in an unusual situation, the letters of recommendation are just the perfect place for that to be described. So maybe more common experiences than the one your student, it could be, you know, the student had mono and was out of school for eight Mm -hmm. weeks in 10th grade, or the parents went through a divorce and it was really tough. And here's how the student met that situation and what we saw her take on during that time, or Mm -hmm. the effects of COVID on the learning environment are probably going to be covered in a lot of letters of recommendation in the next Mm -hmm. few years. And I think that point that using your letters of recommendation a little bit strategically, having conversations with Mm -hmm. the people who will be writing them for you to talk about what they might say or you might want them to say on your behalf is Mm -hmm. really important. Mm -hmm. Although I want to put in, like, as someone who was a high school counselor, you do not want to say, I need you to write this. No, 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 no. Like you are talking to a professional. It was very annoying to be told how to do your job. On the other hand, what you can do (laughs) is say, here's something that I want to talk with you about. Yes. And I was wondering if you could address it in the recommendation as well. Or you can even give people like brag sheets, you know, summaries that address these particular issues. And you can even say it like, I know how busy you are. I thought this might be useful for you when you're writing the letter of rec. I love that phrasing. And I think that's really <laughs> important advice. Please don't go in and say, Sally and Abigail from Briarhead College Coach told me to tell you this. That's right. not going to go over well, but read the room. And, and your wording there was just beautiful, Sally. Mm-hmm. Well, I think especially with, you know, um, public school counselors, like something that a lot of the people we talk to about are understandably really concerned about is, you know, and we see this in states like California in particular. I mean, literally the high school counselor might have 500 students or something in their caseload. Unacceptable in my opinion, but that's a separate issue. Um, Not the counselor's fault either. I want to be very clear about this. This is the counselors are doing the best they can in the middle of a tornado, basically, is how I look at it. So, acknowledge that when you go talk to them, like use the time with them that they have, but don't expect them to know you really well. They simply don't have time to do that. So acknowledge that and say, you know, like, how can I help? Can I give you a copy of my resume, my application? Would any of this be useful to you? You know? And at the same time, in in schools like that, many school counselors are going to say, school policy, we don't write letters of recommendation. There is a form that we fill out and the common application, for example, has a form that goes with every letter of recommendation with kind of a grid of qualities and where this student falls. And a lot of high schools will say, or the school counselor will say, we're just filling out the form. And I think students, all I can say is trust us between Sally and I, a short or no letter of recommendation from the school counselor would never be held against a student if the school simply doesn't write them. We, mm-hmm. That's absolutely of, correct. The example of California, one, one counselor for every 500 students, we can't ask those counselors or expect them to be writing letters of recommendation. I mean, mm-hmm. that's... Yeah, yeah, they involved. simply don't have time. Yeah, no. they really just don't. So, um, but yeah, I I mean, even in the kind of extreme, the recommendation that I told you about, that was a teacher recommendation. The counselor recommendation hadn't mentioned any of that, (laughs) like none of it. I've got none of it, but it didn't matter because we had, we had all this information from another source and the counselor did nonetheless send in the transcript, send in the data about the school so we could see the kind of environment that the student came from that still made it to us. So we had the information that we needed from the counselor. So yeah, so please just don't panic because the counselor can still, even in the worst situation, help the school contextualize who you are 
in that particular high school community? How rigorous is the curriculum? Are you taking the toughest classes there? They have all that data just from your transcript. Right, right. And that's why kind of circling back to where we started this conversation, most colleges that require letters of recommendation will be asking for variety. They will ask Mm -hmm. for typically one from the school counselor and then one to two from academic teachers. And that's why, Sally, you said right away, and I totally agree, five is way too many. We're looking (laughs) quality, not quantity. And even across two or three, you can, as an admissions officer, you are getting what you need Mm -hmm. from those letters if they're chosen strategically and with a few things in mind that I'm sure we're going to talk about. you're giving the admissions officer what they need and you really shouldn't go above and beyond that unless there's a very clear, you know, obvious exception or or rare circumstance. Mm -hmm. So let's, I think that's a perfect segue. Like let's talk about what, so we know about the counselor recommendation. We've talked about that. So what is the purpose of the teacher recommendations? Should the student ask their ninth grade music teacher, for example, if they're not going to be a music major, let's also say they're thinking about business as a major or history or something like that. Yeah. So I like to acknowledge up front that what a school, even where I worked, and I know you worked at Reed mm-hmm. too, what we said we would accept as a letter of recommendation on our website, and I don't know if this has changed since I left, but what we said we would accept was very different from what we actually internally preferred and got the most out of. And Mm -hmm. so I think this conversation of, yes, technically that ninth grade teacher, sure, could be one of your two letters of recommendation. Is that really helping me as the admissions officer? Not really, because Mm -hmm. what I'm using those letters to understand is who is this scholar? Who is this person? Who is this community member? And I joke, but I hope high school students are not the person they were in ninth grade when they are applying to college. I hope you've grown and changed. Mm -hmm. And that ninth grade teacher really probably shouldn't be able to speak to who you are by the time your application is read. And let's remember your application is read in December, January, February of 12th grade. Mm -hmm. Three and a half years is a lifetime for a high school student. It's it's mm-hmm. a quarter of your life. Mm-hmm. And you're just simply not as intellectually mature as you're going to be. No. I mean, your 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 capacity for for thinking analytically is going to grow by leaps and bounds. So it's not even just emotional maturity, it's that analytical ability, you know, in whatever the subject. Um, I mean, one of the things that I get in response um when I tell people that is they're like, yeah, but I'm still working with him on these activities. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not in the classroom. With the him. classroom. Yeah. These recommendations, they explicitly, you'll see if you read it, they want academic. They yes. want letters that are academic. And I would, I would, I think we should define what we mean by academic because mm-hmm. I talk with a lot of families who think, Oh, um, my business academic teacher or my tech voc tech academic teacher. And I would say, for English, math, science, world language, social studies, like really sticking with the bare bones, kind of really traditional, narrow definition of academic mm-hmm. is possible. Um, and maybe you have one that's a little outside that realm. If you're, say, applying into business and you took um, an advanced economics or business course in your school, but really maybe try to keep the other very very narrowly within those bounds. Because mm-hmm. as you said, Telly, it's about who you are in the classroom. That's what we are using these letters for. Mm-hmm. So let's dig into something that I think is kind of tricky because I want to make sure that we don't forget to talk about it. Um, what if you didn't get to know your teacher because of COVID? Like, you know, oh. we typically recommend 11th grade teachers because they are at that, the student is at that greater maturity level. But it's true. It's been over Zoom. So that's a little tougher. It is definitely tougher. But I think that 
Number one, we have to recognize that you are not alone. And I know that doesn't make this year any better um, or, you know, easier on you, but pretty much everybody experienced virtual learning this year. So admissions officers will be reading probably the majority of letters of recommendation will be coming from virtual classroom teachers. So let's remember that the pool we're swimming in looks a lot like what you experienced. Um, and then number two, I would hope that students continued to create uh, relationships with their teachers. They might look different, um, but if you are turning your camera on, if you are engaging in the chat where appropriate, um, doing great work in your breakout rooms, answering the polls, doing the quizzes, going to virtual office hours, reaching out for extra help, you are demonstrating the skills of a excellent virtual learner, which can be translated, I think, into the in-person non-virtual setting. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's okay to go with 11th grade virtual teachers at this point in time. If a student was really uncomfortable with it, I think you could weigh the pros and cons of a teacher that maybe you had in ninth or 10th grade that you will have in person right at the beginning of 12th grade. We see that happen a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe that person would be able to speak to your growth between say 10th grade and the first few weeks of 12th grade. But 12th grade is tough because most of your applications will be due by November, December, early January. So those letters have to be written in September and October. Mm -hmm. um, you're not in the classroom for very long. So I'm wary about waiting on the 12th grade teacher. What do you think? No, I totally agree with you. I think 12th grade teachers, unless you had them in 10th grade, is a no-go. So um, we actually ran out of time. We only have like I only have a minute left. So I'm going to have to sign off now. Thank you so much, Abigail. You are so welcome, Sally. This is great fun and Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So um, thanks so much to Chrissy and Lisa as well. And just so you know, if you're interested in medical school, get ready for our show next week on June 10th. Uh, Lauren DiProspero, formerly of Columbia Medical School Admission Office, will be discussing the residency matching process. In addition, Elizabeth Heaton and Shannon Vasconcelos will be answering listener questions. So that's always fun. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. And also you can download on iTunes. And if you want to search for a particular show topic, you can go to our blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.